Hej, and welcome to the history of Denmark. Episode 4. The Birth of Denmark. Hello everyone. Most of you listeners probably come from the History Podcast's Facebook page, so I want to begin today by thanking you all for being patient in regards to the RSS feed. My inexperience was noticeable, to say the least, but my cousin managed to help me set it up properly, and now I am even on iTunes. Last time, we covered the part of the Viking Age spanning the 800s, focusing on many different aspects of the period. Today, we will cover the first two kings of Denmark, since their stories are so intertwined. And starting today, we can justify talking about the king of Denmark instead of the king of the Danes, although I did use the terms interchangeably in the last episode. Before jumping into the story of the first historical king of Denmark, we will have to introduce a source. Adam of Bremen was the Archbishop of Hamburg in the 11th century, and he wrote a chronicle about the history of the Archbishopric, covering the years 850 through 1074. His chronicle often mentions things that are relevant to Danish history, making him an important source on the Viking Danes, who are not exactly known for writing accurate histories of themselves. His own sources for his writings on the Scandinavian lands are Christian missionaries and King Swain Estridsson of Denmark, whose court he often stayed at. Okay, let's look at Hathaknut, the last semi-historical king of the Danes. Adam writes about Hathaknut that his family originated from Nordmania, which is interpreted as either Normandy or Norway. Supposedly, he was descended from Sigurd Snake in the Eye, a son of Ragnar Lothbrok, who had taken over Sealand after the death of Ragnar. Harthaknut deposed a child king who reigned in Denmark in 917, and he reigned until about 936. That is really all we know about the man. We do, however, know a bit more about his son, Gorm the Old. Gorm was born in either the late 800s or between 908 and 918, and he was married to Tyra. The claims about Tyra's parentage are conflicting, but she most likely had English background. According to tradition, it was Tyra who built the Danevirke fortification, which I have managed to mention in every episode so far. It seems likely that she expanded the Danevirke, but the original fortifications are much older than her. We will touch on Tyra again in a little bit, but for now let us move back to Gorm. His dynasty, which was founded by his father Hathaknut, is called the House of Knutlinga, meaning the House of Knut, but it is often referred to as the House of Gorm, or the Dynasty of Jelling. The reason some called it the Dynasty of Jelling is that the kings belonging to the house had their seat in the important city of Jelling. Indeed, it was so important that it will be a focal point for this episode. Jelling is located a bit inland in central Jutland, just 10 kilometers from where I live, in fact. The capital of Gorm the Old was fortified with a palisade fence dating to around the year 900. Each side of the fence is around 360 meters long, and it forms a rhombus shape surrounding an area of 12 hectares, or 12 soccer fields if you prefer. 
Within the fortification, six houses have been found, but there were likely many more. The center of the rhombus shape, however, is what we are primarily interested in. Here we find the Yelling Stones, which are two carved rune stones from the time of Gorm and his successor, Harald. They serve as the only written Danish source material from the Viking Age. The first, which is also the smaller of the two, was raised by Gorm around the year 935 in memory of his wife, Tyra. Let me read aloud what it says. King Gorm made this monument in memory of Tyra, his wife, the pride of Denmark. It was a heathen custom to raise runestones for your loved ones or for yourself. Indeed, the second one reads, King Harald ordered this monument be made in memory of Gorm, his father, and of Tyra, his mother, that Harald who won himself all of Denmark and Norway and made the Danes Christian. We will get to how Harald won himself Norway and made the Danes Christian, but let us cover the Yelling Stones in detail first. The reason they are so important is that they show the transition taking place in Denmark at the time. A transition from being a decentralized heathen land into a centralized Christian kingdom. This can be seen in the way in which the rune stones are made. Firstly, the runes themselves are organized horizontally, like the words in a Latin book, rather than vertically, which was the usual orientation. Secondly, the second stone has images carved into it on the other two of its sides. One image shows an animal, perhaps a lion, with a serpent wrapped around it, but the final side shows the oldest Nordic depiction of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Jesus does not hang on a cross, but rather from branches or perhaps rope, leading one scholar to believe that Jesus replaces the Norse god Odin, who, as we touched on last episode, was hanged from the branches of the tree Yggdrasil. Either way, the style in which the image of Jesus is made provides a very clear view of the transition Denmark was undergoing. Old heathen customs were being meshed together with new Christian ones. The inscriptions on the Yelling Stones contain the first occurrence of the word Denmark in history, and they are therefore often called the Birth Certificate of Denmark. The stones stand outside a church, surrounded by two earth hills. The northern hill is the true center of not only the rhombus-shaped palisade fence, but also a stone ship. Marking the outline of a ship with large rocks is a characteristic burial practice of Norse paganism and the one in Yelling is an impressive 170 meters long. When the northern hill was excavated, an empty tomb was found inside, likely the tomb of Gorm the Old. The reason it was empty, it is thought, is that after Gorm the Old was buried there, and his son Harald had converted to Christianity, he had the bones of his father moved inside the church. Indeed, the skeleton of a man aged between 35 and 50 years old was found beneath the floor of the church, with the date of death corresponding nicely to when it is thought Gorm died, the year 958. On the website you will find pictures of the runestones and the rest of the burial complex in Yelling. Okay, let us resume the narrative. After the death of Gorm, Harald took sole power, as he had co-ruled with his father while he was still alive. As we learned when looking at the Yellingstones, Harald won himself all of Norway, as well as Denmark. So how did he go about doing that? Well, after Harald Fairhair, the first king of Norway, had died, 
his son, Eric I, was done sharing office with his father. Eric was a true Viking, as, according to the Icelandic Heimskringla saga, he went on his first raid at the age of twelve, with five longships. He had plundered Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and Brittany, and at age sixteen he had sailed around the northern coast of Scandinavia to Finnmark and northern Russia. He was favored among his brothers by his father Harald Fairhair, but the inheritance was split between the most important brothers, and that led to strife. Eric wanted to better his position in the line of succession, and that is how he came to be known as Eric Bloodaxe. He murdered five of his half-brothers, the first one to die being Raunwild, who was burned alive along with his men in a surprise attack by Eric. His brother, Håkon the Good, who had been fostered in England by King Æthelstan, returned to Norway to claim the throne. As Eric was unpopular due to his murderous acts, he deemed resistance to Håkon futile and he first fled to the Orkney Islands and later to England, where Æthelstan welcomed him and made him a vassal king in York. So, how does this relate to Harald Bluetooth conquering Norway? Well, Bloodaxe was married to Harald's sister Gunhild. Together, they had several sons. When Bloodaxe died as the result of a feud between himself and an English noble, Gunhild and the sons of Eric fled to Denmark, where Harald Bluetooth welcomed them. He planned to install his nephews as vassal kings in Norway after deposing Håkon. The invasion was a success, and while some of the sons died in battle, Harald Greycloak was able to become king of Norway in 961. While subservient to his uncle Harald, he consolidated his power over the years and became less and less dependent on his uncle. He would end up reigning for nine years, since in 970 he was tricked into coming to Denmark with the promise of being granted Danish fiefdoms, and he was assassinated, letting Harald Bluetooth take control after his remaining nephews had fled the country. Håkon Sigurdsson, which you should not confuse with Håkon the Good, became the new vassal king of Norway. I think this is a good place to take a break and cover the Christianization of Denmark. Up until this point, the relationship between the Christians and the Danes has been strained, since the Vikings have plundered and stolen Christian lands. The Christians had tried to convert Norse pagans in the past, such as in the late 700s, where the Franks sent missionaries into Danish lands, but they were mostly repelled. In 826, the Frankish missionary Ansgar came to Denmark along with a Christian pretender to the throne, Harald Klack. Ansgar, who would later be known as Saint Ansgar, the Apostle of the North, was sent by Louis the Pious, the son of Charlemagne, and Harald Klack had let himself be baptized in order to gain an alliance with Louis. The attempt to convert the Danes and install the pretender failed, however, and Ansgar was sent packing. He tried Sweden next, and had some success, since he managed to set up a church in Birka. When he returned to the realm of the Franks, he was granted the newly created Archbishopric of Hamburg, the office that would remain responsible for matters of the church in the north for many years. The seat would be moved to Bremen, after Hamburg was raided. Sometime in the 850s, the Danish king Horik agreed to let Ansgar build churches in Hedeby and Ribe. The Christians likely thought and hoped that if they could convert the Norse pagans to Christianity, then raids on their territories would subside. If you remember from the beginning of this episode, I mentioned Adam of Bremen, who was the Archbishop of Hamburg much later. 
He is going to play a role now, because this account of Harold Bluetooth's conversion, which was written 200 years after the fact, contradicts a contemporary source, a German monk called Widukind of Saxony. Widukind wrote a history of the Saxons, but the part we are interested in is the reign of Otto I and Harold Bluetooth's embrace of Christianity. Let me read from Book 3, verse 65 of the Res Gestae Saxonicae, as the work was called. One time, at a feast where the king was in attendance, there was a discussion about the worshipping of the gods. The Danes claiming that while Christ was a god, there were also other gods which were larger than him, since these let man see far greater signs and miracles than Christ. To this, a cleric who has now devoted his life to God, a bishop named Popo, said that there was only one true God and Father, and his only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, whereas the false gods were demons. King Harold, about whom it is said that he was eager to listen but hesitant to speak, now asked him if he was willing to prove his faith, to which Popo, without a doubt, answered yes. The king then had the cleric watched until the following day, and the morning after he let a big heavy piece of iron be heated, and asked the cleric to carry it for the Catholic faith. Christ's faithful took the iron without unsteadiness and carried it for as long as the king commanded, showed his hand, which was unharmed, and thus convinced everyone of the truth of the Catholic faith. Then the king converted and decided to worship only Christ as his god, and commanded the people he ruled over to renounce their false gods, and he later showed the priests and service of God due honor. This translation was provided by yours truly. So, a monk named Popo carried glowing iron in an attempt to prove that Catholicism is the true faith, and his hands were unharmed. This story is depicted on two golden reliefs from Tomtrop Church, with one showing Popo carrying the iron, and the other showing the baptism of Harold Bluesooth. You can find pictures of these on the website. The story I just read to you is supported by a biography of the life of Archbishop Bruno of Köln, written in 968. But what does Adam of Bremen say about the conversion of the Danes? Well, he claims that Otto I defeated Denmark in a military campaign and forced Harold Bluetooth to convert. However, if this were the case, it's strange that the contemporary sources don't mention this glorious military victory for Christianity. And it is written 200 years after the fact, so some version of the story I just read seems more likely. It is likely that Harold Bluetooth let himself be converted by a Christian missionary in order to ease tensions with the massive Holy Roman Empire to the south, but also to get valid reasons for invading Norway and southern Sweden, which remained pagan. While this was certainly a big step for Christianity in Denmark, the actual Christianization of the population would take between 150 and 200 years, and we will see in the coming episodes that pagan beliefs and way of life has certainly not been replaced with Christian ones at the drop of a hat. An example of Norse paganism persisting are the Jomsvikings. They were an order of warriors based somewhere on the south coast of the Baltic Sea, in an encampment called Jomsborg, and they were staunchly pagan. Knowledge of them comes from sagas and the like, so their existence is debated, but they feature heavily throughout the 10th century. Who founded the order is also debated. 
Saxo and the Knutlinge saga claim that Harold Bluetooth was the founder, with Saxo going on to say that Harold gave command of the order to Sturbjorn the Strong. Another possible founder is Palnatoge, who was the count of the island of Funen in the middle of Denmark under Harold Bluetooth. We will meet Palnatoge again in a little while, but let us concentrate on the relationship between the Jums Vikings and Harold Bluetooth. There were allies against Håkon Sigurdsson, who had been granted Norway after Bluetooth had Harald Greycloak assassinated. Håkon had helped Harald against the Holy Roman Emperor Otto II in 974, but they lost, and Harald had to cede everything south of the Danevirke to the Emperor. Harald was also forced to convert Håkon, who was still a pagan, but Håkon later went back to his pagan ways. Harald and the Jomsvikings sailed to Norway to confront Håkon, but the weather forced them to retreat. As I mentioned earlier, the Jomsvikings were staunchly pagan, but they were willing to cooperate with Harald so long as he paid them well. So, Stjöbjörn the Strong became the chief of the Jomsvikings either by being granted it by Harald Bluetooth or by usurping it from Palnatogrim after it was decided that Styrbjorn was not fit to become king after his uncle Eric in Sweden. Next, Styrbjorn comes into conflict with his uncle and attempts to take Sweden by force with the help of Harald Bluetooth and the Jomsvikings. After having sailed to Sweden, the Knutlinga saga reports that Styrbjorn set his own ships on fire, to which Harald responded by deserting the Jomsvikings and sailing home. Saxo Grammaticus claims that Harald left because the Holy Roman Emperor Otto had attacked Jutland, but this may be an attempt to salvage Harald's honor. Stjöbjörn went on to be defeated by his uncle in the Battle of Fyrisvelir, where he died, and Eric became known as Eric the Victorious. Stjöbjörn had been married to Harald Bluetooth's daughter, Tyra, who was now a widow. She would then be married to Olaf Tryggvason, would usurp Norway from Håkon in 995. Harald Bluetooth is credited with building ring fortresses across Denmark to strengthen the country's defense, and in 993 he drove out Germans who had settled in southern Jutland after the defeat of 974. He had two sons, Sven and Håkon. Håkon would go off to conquer lands in Prussia, but Sven is who we are interested in. He was fostered by Palnatogen, the very pagan Count of Funen, who may have been the founder of the Jomsvikings. Snorre Sturlason, an Icelandic chronicler who wrote the Heimskringla saga, says that Sven asked his father for his own realm, which Harald denied him, since he did not want to split Denmark in two. Sven then told his father that he was going off on a raid, but when he had gathered his ships and men, he sailed into the Isafjord in Sealand where he attacked his father's army. He was defeated in the following battle because some of his men deserted him, but, at least according to Saxo, Palnatoga himself shot Harold Bluetooth with an arrow, wounding him. Saxo also tells a different story of why Sven took up arms against his father. He reports that Harold used the army for building projects, ordering them to move stones around for him, which angered them. Anyway, according to Adam of Bremen, after Harald was wounded, he sailed to Jomsborg, the seat of the Jomsvikings, where he was welcomed. Here, his wounds proved fatal, and he died. 
His son Svend became king after him, and next week we will dive into his story. Join me then to hear about Swain Forkbeard, King of Denmark, Norway and England. Thank you for listening to the History of Denmark podcast. If you wanted to look at the pictures relevant to this episode, visit thehistoryofdenmark.wordpress.com.